Warning, you are about to enter a world populated by the most appalling music ever made. Welcome to the search for the worst album of all time. This is Broken Records. But I hadn't been forgotten, I Joe. I'd been married a long time ago. Saint Bango. <laughs> a girl with kaleidoscope eyes. <laughs> You're beautiful. Hey, hey, I wanna be a rock star. Hello there, welcome to episode 33 of Broken Records, an offshoot of the Riot Act podcast, starring me, Stephen Hill, and him, Renfrey Dedman. Hello, Renfrey, how are you? Hello, I'm very good. How are you, Steve? I'm all right, thank you, mate. I'm all right. Good to be here for another episode as you and I search for the worst records ever made um thank you very much everyone who's been listening so far thank you if you found us on our usual friday weekly review show riot act and you've come over to hear us slagging stuff off thanks very much for doing that if you haven't if you just found it and you're like oh that's a funny little idea maybe i'll listen to that welcome maybe you want to do that on a friday hear us being nice about stuff you can go to patreon.com forward slash riot act podcast we've got loads of bonus stuff over there if you want to give us some money as well that would be lovely 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 but as i said this is where we try and find the worst album ever made and i'm quite delighted actually renfrey because we've launched this um only a couple of weeks ago but there are 33 episodes up already because it's something that we used to do previously and uh we got our first one star review probably from a disgruntled lincoln park fan is what my oh. uh, my 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 maths has deduced that so if you want to give us a that. little <laughs> yeah i mean it hasn't actually They've not written anything. We've just got a one-star oh. review. But it was a few. It's a couple of days after the Linkin Park episode came out. So I was like, ha ha, ha ha, you're sad. You're sad about <laughs> someone you like dying. Ha ha ha. Um, and we don't care. Uh, so, yeah, so good. Uh, I thought we'd get a couple of them just from disgruntled people. Yeah, it was nice to and, have a five out of five for a short time. Yeah. But, you know, I'll take 4.9. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine, especially if it's upsetting a Linkin Park fan. I mean, that's actually, I'd, I'd rather have a one from a Linkin Park fan than a five to be honest. But anyway, I'm getting off the topic a little, a little bit. bit. I just really, really want Linkin Park fans to be monumentally unhappy. So, uh, but I, I thought I'd start with a little bit of negativity since that is sort of the aim of the show. And I'm not sure there's going to be loads and loads of it this week, to be mm. honest, because um, we have a list of albums that are featuring on this show that are compiled from reputation, suggestion, critical standing, fan reaction, or even even you, even you tweeting us and saying this album is awful and us potentially having a little listen to it and agreeing with it or going digging into it. But we have a lot of records. We have a lot of records. And we do have a full ranking list, which I'll go through in a moment. But this week, we're going to be talking about Neil Young. Neil Young and the Shocking Pinks. Uh, Everybody's Rockin' is the album. It's the 13th studio album from The Godfather of Grunge, which was released on the 13th of August, 1983. And we're both very, very big fans of Neil Young, aren't we, Renfrew? Yeah, certainly of a certain period. Um, Mm. and, And actually even, I mean the 70s let's say is generally considered the good period for neil young and and i think the majority of those records we could probably both go yeah those records are fantastic did some great stuff in the 90s as well and done some pretty good stuff in the new millennium um Mm. it's been it's been up and down but you know he's done some pretty good stuff the 80s releases a lot of releases a lot of records practically releases a record a year yeah more or less i mean um and uh, the 80s was a very, very curious, interesting time for Mr. Young, to say the least. 
to be discussed but before we do that we're going to run down the list of albums that we have so far from the best to the worst so these are the 32 albums in descending order that we have on our list so far starting with self-portrait by bob dylan followed by lou reed and metallica's lulu lou reed's metal machine music liz fair's self-titled album lauren hill's mtv 2.0 unplugged dd king's standing in the spotlight the transform man by william shatner rotation by cute is what we aim for three by van halen black and white rainbows by bush primitive call by mick jagger limp biscuits results may vary umaguma by pink floyd what the by black flag streets in the sky by the enemy dirty vegas is one razor light by razor light famous first words by viva brother one more light by lincoln park theory of a dead man's the truth is Louis the Fourteenth, Slick Dogs and Ponies, Queen and Paul Rogers, The Cosmos Rocks, Richard Ashcroft's United Nations of Sound, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band original soundtrack, Eogan Quig by Eogan Quig, Six Feet Under's Graveyard Classics Volume Two, Blood Sweat and Towers by the Towers of London, Angelic to the Core by Corey Feldman, Bad Blood by Blood on the Dance Floor, Methods of Mayhem self-titled album, Uncle Cracker's Double Wide is number two and still at number one, still now and probably forever. I'm not a fan, but the kids like it. By Broken Side, and there we go. But in goes with all of those albums neil young now um neil young in 1982 left his longtime label reprise who are the label that reduced released all of those brilliant albums um designed to geffen records now renfrey if we are a 90s kid which we are geffen records we bloody love geffen records right they had nirvana and guns and roses why wouldn't you like Geffen Records. They also had Rob Zombie and Weezer and Beck and Sonic Youth and Aerosmith. In the 90s, we all thought Geffen, as a label, was the cool fucking label, right? Uh, there was certainly something... Uh, yeah, no, I think that's fair to say to an, to an extent. I don't think that tells the whole story. But yes, in the 90s, yes, I think that is fair to say. Um, funnily enough, it, that sort of run of great records was actually more or less when david gevin started taking a back seat uh mm. to to <laughs> what he was doing with the label which i think maybe has something to do with it sorry david um but i think it's true um i was i was wondering if uh this record and and maybe a few other things might be one of the reasons that he started taking a back seat to it <laughs> again something we'll get back get into uh well they, they we're gonna say you know the the 90s were good for geffen uh, the 80s, Kylie Minogue was a big hit. Berlin, Sammy Hagar, Wang Chung. They also had established acts like Elton John, uh, Cher, Debbie Harry, Joni Mitchell, Peter Gabriel, Don Henley. Um, they were a big fucking deal, basically. They were. They, they were. They were, they were a big deal. Mm. Yeah, they were a big deal. They also released the um, the Double Fantasy by John Lennon and Yoko Ono when they first formed in 1980. That was one of the big you know just before john lennon was murdered in 1980 that album came out and that was out on geffen that was the year they formed as a label so that's pretty big as well Mm, right yeah that's yeah yeah so it kind of makes sense that when you look at that you know people like peter gabriel elton john john lennon it kind of makes sense that they would want neil young who i think it's not really that much of a stretch to say neil young was one of the most sort of important and influential artists of the 1970s I mean, particularly look after the Gold Rush and Harvest and Rush, 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 do sleep. Rust never sleeps. Kind of absolute undeniable classics. But even stuff like, you know, um, On the Beach has got Heart of Gold on it. Tonight's the Night. Fucking great. Like, Neil Young released some 
amazing music and was definitely when you think of the most sort of important and in essential artists and people in music during the 1970s neil young is definitely definitely up there without a shadow of a doubt yeah 100 percent. the the run of records in the 70s that neil young did was really pretty extraordinary especially at that time he was again still doing more or less an album a year so yeah, yeah he had an extraordinary run in the 70s he really did and it kind of makes it i say i'd say it kind of makes sense it makes total total sense that he would want to be poached by a label like geffen and well also his longtime manager elliot roberts um had uh used to be partners with david geffen and and the, and you know apparently geffen had um uh, uh, admired Neil Young for a long time, and mm-hmm. you know, which is not surprising considering his seventies output, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, in fact, um, they were offered uh, four million dollars more by RCA, but because yeah. of that sort of existing relationship um, that uh, that they had with Geffen, um, they decided to sign with Geffen anyway. Yeah, he signed with Geffen for less money, really, because he thought, well, I'll. I can trust these people to let me yeah. creatively do what, do what I want to do, which is, <laughs> as we will get to, quite ironic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, the first Neil Young released uh, album that Neil Young released on Geffen was Trans in 1982. Now, Trans, for those of you who haven't heard it, and I reckon that might be a fair few of you, because it's not considered a classic Neil Young record, is it? I no. mean, it actually... I think potentially trans could have been in that hat when you listen to it today because I mean it's a sort of it's a very it's very atypical of or untypical I should say of Neil Young's work it's a sort of early electro rock album and it's in very very rudimentary form yes I you know I see what you're saying regarding trans could have been on this list. I do think there's been some critical reappraisal of the record since, um, as there always is. I think well, it actually was received fairly well. I mean, mm. I think at the time people thought it was quite a. I mean, I won't go as far as say groundbreaking, but quite a forward-thinking thing for Neil Young to do quite a kind of zeitgeisty thing for neil young to do the story behind the record is is quite beautiful as well um with trans um neil young's son was born with cerebral palsy i believe and Mm. as a result couldn't couldn't talk couldn't communicate as others did and he was he was trying to explore speaking through uh electronic communication and i think when you listen to when you listen to trans with that in mind it does actually give it a slight it it makes a lot of it more forgivable i think in that it's a very interesting record trans um uh, and i i think it isn't quite as simple as like oh yeah it's a bad record or anything like that i think there are I, there are other ones that i would i mean um oh there's another one on uh geffen landing on the water mm. is probably the record that I've heard by Neil Young, which is my personal least favourite, that is a pretty awful record. Um, I'd almost say that that could be a contender as well. But yeah, certainly, I think Neil Young was uh, experimenting quite wildly in the 80s. He wasn't releasing 
every single record that came out sounded completely different to the previous one um and that produced some uh great results i think reactor from 1981 uh, you can trace if you squint really really hard you can trace some lineage towards stuff that swans were doing later on with that album um cool. and that i mean it's not yeah not ridiculous in its in its repetitive grinding nature mm. i mean i mean i'm not i'm not trying to say swans listened to reactor and then went we'll do that but that there mm. is a lineage there uh, uh 1989's freedom is fucking great record it's got rocket well, in free world on it we'll we'll get to that later okay. on because that kind of represents a, a commercial a commercial rebirth but trans um it's not the Neil Young that when you think of Neil Young in your head, it's not the Neil Young you think of. I think there are elements Absolutely. of it that still sound like Neil Young. It's got a bit of a, a kind of Neil Young has a really kind of an almost doomy somber plod to him, which I fucking love in all it, whatever he's doing. And it's got a bit of that to even, you know, whether he's doing Crazy Horse or whether he's doing just acoustic stuff on his own. He's got that kind of, yeah, that kind of very slow stomp to everything about it which is really good and his voice i mean even when it's being computer manipulated on trans his voice it still sort of sounds like neil young might actually sound more might actually sound more like neil young yeah. <laughs> read that his actual voice read that co- computer manipulation i i think the majority of the um criticism towards trans is due to the vocoder effect that he uses on yeah. six of the nine tracks which um mm. <laughs> it's basically it's those guys it's frankie howard's mate mates from sergeant pepper's lonely Hearts band, <laughs> isn't it? that's what they did after after that flop so badly they had to go and session musician for uh <laughs> for neil young i mean it's it not is the worst I mean, it's in not, the world. <laughs> no 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 it's not i mean have a listen to a song like we are in control which is a mad song i mean it was you know, like I say, it probably seemed really futuristic at the time. I mean, even Devo are on the album, aren't they? Yeah. Devo, yeah. yes. Hat-wearing whippet singers, yeah. Devo. Heavily inspired I by think, craft work as well. Yeah, I mean, I think today it sort of sounds hilarious, that record. I mean, Computer Cowboy. Come on, Neil. It's a long, oh. it's a long time since I've heard trans, but I don't remember liking it at the time. I will, I will confess. Uh, it's, it's, it's not great at all that record, mm. and I think it probably was a little bit of a stretch too far for him to do that with any kind of real authority in 1982. I think, uh, yeah, years and years and years and years later, what are we looking at? Nearly 40 years after that record came out. I mean, it's really aged. I, I, for me, I actually listened to it in the build-up to this because I wanted to double-check. I think it's aged incredibly badly. I mean, I would say it probably aged quite badly when I first heard it, which would have been... Um, oh, 2003 or four or so, I would have thought. Yeah, it would have been a similar it. time. It would have, yeah, and it, it hadn't aged very well then. So anyway... A, a record um, that has aged badly in a period of time for modern music that uh, qu- quite a lot of records aged badly. Let's let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. be honest, yeah. Um, and by all accounts, all the people at Geffen thought the same. Probably David, David Geffen, I think, as well, was very nonplussed um, when, having thought he signed a kind of folk rock troubadour, he got <laughs> an album with Devo and the robots from the Sgt. Pepper's soundtrack on it. Uh, LAUGHTER 
<laughs> we should probably so, state that that's not an actual fact. The robots from no, Savage no, no, Weather, no, no. but yes, the so robots are Smash robots from the Smash adverts. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's right yeah so immediately after one album after this fucking great run that neil young has been on in the 70s you immediately have straight away a slightly strained relationship between uh this new label this new very very you know obviously very very ambitious label and a kind of famously grumpy unwilling to conform neil young mm-hmm. um so neil young offered the label what would be the follow-up to this album that we're going to be talking about, 1985's Old Ways, was actually written and recorded and offered as the follow-up to Trans. But Geffen rejected Old Ways mm. and its kind of country flavour, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, yeah, which country. I think is fine, mm. by the way. Uh, I don't know if I've heard Old Ways. I'm not sure if I've heard It's all right. It. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, it feels far more like a Neil Young album than the... I mean, we're basically focusing on a, a very, very odd three-album curve mm. in, on this particular show. Mm. So you've got Trans, which is I, I think is mental. Mm-hmm. You've got this album, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. And then you've got something kind of approaching back to really not... I wouldn't say it's what Neil Young is known for, but it's much, much closer to what Neil Young is known for than the two records that we've that were kind of either side of it well harvest, so it's a very harvest odd... was country tinged and i'm yeah. guessing old ways isn't a million miles away from harvest no, probably no, I don't obviously so. not as good i'm guessing but you know no yeah, yeah um you know but geffen rejected the kind of country flavor of the songs and demanded that young make a quote-unquote rock and roll album that's what they said and neil young appears to have taken that advice very very literally indeed because kind of what we have here is an artist trolling 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 their own trolling their own record label yeah um neil young goes to the studio pumps out six covers of old rock and roll standards four of his own creation that really hark back to the 1950s sound of skiffle and early rock and roll music um neil young has said that he wanted the record to be a concept album and uh that if a quite furious geffen records hadn't have curtailed the sessions then the record would have been been completed in its in as intended in its complete form uh which would have made far more sense he never got the chance to do that i mean the album is only 25 minutes long so you've got to kind of think that maybe there was some sort of you know we're not getting to hear the full story Mm. from what that record is meant so to be it, um, it would have been half an hour <laughs> yeah those two uh, those, those two songs that he didn't get to record in the initial sessions though that he did re- release them 13. later on yeah yeah yeah, yeah. on on, on, on a, the compilation yes it's on a compilation called lucky 13 That's right. um and um yeah he sort of he never obviously never got a chance to see that i mean I, i'm not sure it would have made a lot of difference really um this is also the first time that neil young made any videos for any of his songs as well he did two videos um for wondering and cry 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 mtv wouldn't play them mm. which i'm not that surprised about i watched one action i haven't watched yeah. cry 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 but i watched one i've not seen either of them oh my goodness me neil young is he's sort of um I mean, again, it's probably just an as- another aspect of the trolling that he was doing, but he's kind of peering into the camera like a... Um, he just looks like a homeless vagabond-type person who's gone a little bit mad. It's uh, but, but doing this kind of old-school rock and roll thing, uh, it's almost 
it's almost like a counterbalance it's a it's like it's a very they're very odd videos <laughs> it's very odd <laughs> well he kind of cosplayed as like a rockabilly character for yeah. a few years didn't he yeah which again it's quite a weird thing to do when you've just been calling yourself a cowboy spaceman for like <laughs> like like two years before a year before yeah well he described uh, it as being um like like a different person this rockabilly person and he said he was that guy for a year and a half it was a bit like appearing in a movie you know which is the an approach that david bowie would take or something like that you know so i'm sure there was like some influence coming in from there or um but yeah yeah that's how he described it at the time so all this happened and we're talking we're kind of we're kind of shadow boxing around uh this strange relationship between geffen and we should say i mean normally we go that happened this is how the record got released and this is how we feel about it and this is what happened next but really we have to talk about what happened next before we get into the record really because what happened what happened next is really i think why this record is here six months after the release of the record in november 1983 geffen records filed a lawsuit against neil young suing him for a reported 3.3 million dollars on the grounds that this record and trans were not commercial and were musically uncharacteristic of his previous recordings um before i get into what neil young did to kind of slap back against that that's that's bold of them isn't it that's a very polite way of putting it uh i'm gonna put it a little less politely i think that's probably one of the most destructive things a record label can do to an artist you're essentially saying you're in this box we want you to do this we don't want you to go outside of the creative boundaries of this box and fuck you if you do like what what a twattish thing to do to a creative person um it's the total antithesis of what we talk about when we were talking about good music on this show no one no one they wouldn't let steve albini mix in utero for fuck's sake (laughs) christ well they let him do it but they wouldn't release it yeah 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 yeah. um like looking back on it it's 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 really fucking embarrassing like they should be really embarrassed i think i think they did i think they were quite embarrassed about it as we'll talk about it in a bit but really really embarrassing shit thing for a label to do record labels are meant to be there to support artists they're certainly i don't think labels should get into the um creative direction of things personally unless the artist has a good enough relationship with that label and turns around to the label and says I'm thinking of doing this. Here are some demos. What do you think? You know, if you ask for advice, it's not then fair enough. But, uh, but, but to dictate that sort of, you know, af- after a record comes out which isn't successful commercially, no, you'd like. Uh, I-, I think it would have been better if they dropped him, if anything. But Neil Young's response was fucking great. So fair play, Young. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get to that in a second. But I mean, this to me, it feels like. Do you remember when you used to watch films in the 80s and the early 90s and everybody who worked for a record label was like a slimy <laughs> dude in a pony t- with a ponytail? Yeah. Like every single day. And, and, um, and I think used to Wayne's watch World. Go, oh, think Wayne's yeah, World. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like Rob Lowe in Wayne's yeah, World. Yeah. yeah. Um, and but you, you just thought that every single person ever in 
that the, the depiction of music industry person in everything tv shows it, like cartoons it, films always some slimy bad suit ponytail greasy jerk yeah right usually <laughs> like usually wearing usually wearing a suit with the sleeves rolled up yeah um mm-hmm. uh usually has a very uh distasteful approach to relationships and women nine yeah. times out of ten and, uh, <laughs> going like toe to toe with steve martin mm-hmm. on cocaine as well <laughs> just like the worst kind of person and i was a bit like having now worked in the music i mean obviously it was a very different time back then the 80s and you know what kind of the you know the, the roman ruins of the music industry that we work in now um it is going to be a very different thing but i've got to the point where i was like oh it feels really unfair that they kind of portray people like that because no one really not many people are like that but then you read stuff like this and you go oh they probably were because i can imagine some big mobile phone holding shithead in a pink like electric pink jacket with the sleeves rolled up telling neil young that he has to go and change his album let's like, not forget that constantly was... like sniffing like the dude from what's his name from diehard i was literally about to Hans say booby <laughs> i was literally about to say let's not forget there was a lot more cocaine going around the music industry back then i'm not mm. to say there isn't cocaine going around the music industry now but there was a lot more of it around then than there is now and that's probably yeah. something to do with it yeah i mean it's just absolutely maddening thing to do yeah absolutely maddening thing to do like what the fuck are you thinking uh so what did neil young do neil young filed a counterclaim against geffen records who was suing him for 3.3 million dollars he sued them for 21 million (laughs) dollars alleging that he was promised that there would be no creative interference with his art and therefore geffen were in effect in breach of their contract forcing him by forcing him to make a record that he didn't want to make or make this record mm. which is fucking brilliant mm. fucking brilliant yeah when the- we're talking about like punk moves not suggesting mm. that uh neil young is sonically punk at all because he isn't really but when we're talking about punk rock moves that is about as punk as it gets that's you know i mean move over gg allen that is that is fucking cool yeah I'm not sure Gigi Allen would have done that, to be honest. I think Gigi Allen would have shat in a box. And well, Gigi Allen him. wouldn't have been given the opportunity to do that because he didn't have the talent to do that. But, but you know, yeah. yeah. But yes. That, well, yeah. yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, fucking excellent. Like, so good. Yeah. So good. And the beauty of all of this is that um, David Geffen ended up having to make a personal apology to Neil Young in the aftermath of this court action, which must have really stung must have really really stung david geffen but because you know he signed you signed for that label because of you mate Mm. and because of the fact that they trusted you to let them do exactly what they want to do so they gave up four million dollars because they were more trustworthy of the fact that you would let them do the thing that that he knew he obviously knew in his head he was like well i'm going to make these records i mean particularly the first record you know that must have been in his head that trans must have been in his head when he was signing this this deal and he was like right people might not like this so i gotta make sure i go over the right label so he does that and the label turn with him anyway mm. be absolutely furious absolutely furious absolutely but then uh i think the delivery of this record 
is the the absolute the chef's kiss in terms of the sort of punk rock mm. behavior um bearing in mind the key phrase being we want you to deliver a rock and roll record uh that's what he did (laughs) that is that is what he did so um let's get into some reviews before we go into the record ourselves uh the enemy savaged the review saying at least neil young has resisted rejoining crosby stills and nash although this foray into rockabilly pastiche is hardly much less regressive than that uh it's got a score it's got two out of five on all music um, everybody's rocky everybody's rocking credited to neil young and the shocking pinks representing the nadir of this attempted career suicide running less than 25 minutes it found young covering early rock evergreens like betty lou's got a baron, got a new pair of shoes and writing a few songs in the same kind of vein kind of fond of wonder for example we'll talk about that in a bit if he had presented this as a mini album at a discount price it would have been easy to enjoy the joke young seemed to intend as it was, fans who already had their doubts about Young dropped off the radar screen. Everybody's Rockin' was his lowest charted album since his 1969 debut, and he didn't release another album for two years, his longest break ever between records, probably at the time. Um, Robert Christogou Hello. reviewed it. Our old mate Robert Christogou got involved, um, giving it a C plus. He was characteristically obtuse as ever, saying, if Ronnie and Nancy are the only everybody's rocking by name on the less than rousing title finale, then maybe what Neil means to say is that basic rockabilly isn't worth too much all by its lonesome. I agree, but expect the argument would be more convincing if Neil plus Ben Keith could match Brian Seltzer chop for chop. The covers are redundant or worse <laughs> as are, are all but two of the original. The covers are redundant or worse as as are but all as are all but two of the originals. The way he writes just doesn't make it. Uh, I hope Robert <laughs> Gordon or somebody rescues Kinda Fonda Wanda and I hope Neil realises that for all the horrible truth of Paola Blues, nobody's three thou's gonna fly on this top forty. A lot of that doesn't does he I kinda get the fact that you don't really like it. Like, I, just <laughs> yeah. ab- I just about comprehend that you don't really like it. I, I get that he doesn't like it. I don't fully understand why he doesn't <laughs> like it. But uh, but okay, you don't like it. That's fine. That's cool. Yeah. Um, Q included in their list of the first, uh, the first Wifty, the worst Wifty. <laughs> the first Wifty. Are you all right? The, just, <laughs> just everything okay at home? Just lost the <laughs> The 50 worst albums ever made. I'm pretty sure all those albums are, are in this hat, apart from Chocolate Starfish by Limp Bizkit, which they put at number two, The Fucking Morons. Um, it has a rate your music score of 2.4 out of 5, over 1,240 ratings. And there's a few retrospective looks back at the record with some more favourable feelings. There's an article called In Defence of Everybody's Rocking, which kind of puts the case forward that it is a decent, if not, remarkable neil young record so it can't even really rouse itself to say this is good yeah it's just saying this is not rubbish which i think is fair and even neil young himself seems more than aware of the album's limitations um yes he does telling q in a feature in 1995 what am i stupid did people really think i put that out thinking it was the greatest fucking thing i'd ever recorded obviously i'm aware it's not <laughs> punk so even neil young himself understands that this record is is not that great uh, a few a few more things before we get into what we think about it i thought i'd look at there's it's quite there's quite a lot of um websites which will do uh an artist's 
discography from worst to best um and i thought well neil young's going to be a shoe in for that so i'll just check a couple of those just to put this into perspective of what people think of it now um on the 5th of november 2020 the guardian did one and rated it 44 out of the 45 records that they looked at ultimate classic rock placed mm. it at 36 out of the 42 records that they covered and stereo gum put it at 31 out of the 35 albums that they covered so it never places highly but there certainly is some debate as to just how bad this record is. Yeah, I mean that's certainly the lower echelons. Oh yeah, for yeah. In everybody. every case, yeah, sort of makes sense. I think. I mean, <clears throat> what do you think of this record, Renfrey? I'm going to start with you. Uh, from purely from the the, the music, in, uh, yeah. in, from that angle, um, it's fine. <laughs> yeah it's fine um it's an old school uh love letter to 50s rock and roll mm. um it feels very slight although mm. neil young did make a point on that as well actually Young explained the inspiration for the album in 1995, saying that there was very little depth to the material, obviously. They were all surface songs. But see, there was a time when music was like that, when all pop stars were like that. And it was good music, really good music. Plus, it was a way of further destroying what I'd already set up. Without doing that, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now. If I build something up, I have to systematically tear it down uh, before people decide, oh, that's how we can define him. Which, you know, I think I, I, I can understand that completely. Um, but he is admitting himself that it's, you know, it's not like the deepest record in the world or anything like that. It's a, it's a record mm-hmm. that you put on. It's like, oh, there's some nice rock and rolly things on here. I have to say, I'm not like a super expert on rock and roll music. I was a little bit surprised at some of the criticisms of it. Some of the criticisms saying that like, the production was really terrible um the production just sounds authentic to me it's got those backing vocal do what things which mm. are kind of given a little bit of reverb and stuff um there's quite a few people talking about the digital production of the record which you know mm. makes it sound terrible i mean look i'm not saying that this record is produced brilliantly but when you look at where digital production has gone now and the inauthenticity oh hello i'm catching it from you inauthenticity of that uh this sound this record sounds like the most authentic thing in the world by comparison you know like i I, it didn't it didn't i didn't listen to it going oh the production's amazing but i didn't listen to it going the production's shit either it's just it just sounded like an old school rock, rock and roll record i think the songs he's chosen are very interesting if you are uh, an aficionado of rock and roll you might notice you might recognize some of these songs i personally didn't um even mystery train which was covered by elvis presley very early on mm-hmm. um is that right yes i think it is mystery train um was not one that i recognized uh the one song i did recognize was wandering uh because oh, really okay because I was, I was, he yeah. actually um did a version of that for the uh after the gold rush sessions uh which mm. is very very different uh he also performed it i've got a bootleg of him in 1970 from i think the macy hall where he performs it there uh i have to say i much prefer what he does with it on that um uh uh after the gold rush session and 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 the live version but you know the song is ostensibly the same um and there's nothing uh particularly wrong with it or anything like that um it's very slight and very inoffensive and very 
yeah, a, a, an ode to rock and roll. I'm, I'm sure there are far better rock and roll songs he could have chosen, in my opinion, if he'd wanted to do that. I think it says quite a lot that I think I had misread somewhere or I was under the impression that the entire record was covers until um, I listened to it. But I thought that the originals had that very authentic 50s rock and roll flavour to them. So I think, you know, he obviously understands that kind of music and knows what he's doing with it. Um, It's nothing to write home about by any stretch of the imagination. But and, and yeah, take if you take it out of context of the whole story and the lawsuit and what Geffen did and stuff like that, I can totally understand why people would be like, what the hell is this? What was he doing? But when you put that context in, uh, it just fills me with joy, this album, because I'm like, what a brilliant musical fuck you. I think it's fantastic from, from that perspective. I don't yeah. love the record, but I don't particularly dislike it either. Mm. and i think yeah, he's I done mean, worse as well i will say i think yeah mate yeah but well i, I mean i think for me, i think trans is worse mm. it's is been a long I time since say. i've heard it but yeah probably i i personally think trans is worse and i think we probably could have we could have put them in both in together i mean the thing is this is the one that happened with the lawsuit so it's clearly why it's here and it's clearly a reaction to geffen i think trans was made if trans was in here being a, as a bad record it's not terrible enough to really be like oh what an absolutely awful 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 record it's just a record which is outside of your comfort zone and has aged very very badly it wouldn't be anywhere near the top this um i mean i'm not a big fan of early rock and roll stuff particularly personally and when the first song betty lou's got a new pair of shoes came in and it was very much that i did think well this is I'm unlikely to enjoy this record particularly, but I thought the song itself was a, is a is a pretty good song. Yeah. It's really catchy. Yeah. It's really cool. I actually think you know the composition, the production, the performance uh, was totally totally fine, totally good. I mean, I think it's not a bad song. No. Like objectively speaking, it's not a bad song. No. It's not something that I necessarily would choose to listen to very much, but it's it's a pretty good song mm. and. Um, you know he sticks the old harmonica in there pretty early which gives it a bit of neil young his voice as Mm. we've discussed when we've reviewed his records on riot act uh, his voice sounds like his voice Mm -hmm. um there's a real kind of pulp fiction the dance sequence from you know you never can tell that that whole thing like and so it's weird because he's a little bit ahead of his time in that respect because sort of rock and roll did come back for a little bit like around that era so he's kind of whilst being really ahead of his time he's also quite in front of the time as well which is a weird thing yeah although that there is an interesting thing to know i think like obviously i mean i was born two years after this record came out but from my knowledge in 1983 um what was considered cool hip um was uh new stuff new sounds synthesizers were coming in and everyone you know people weren't particularly interested in looking back at the time so that was quite that was an extraordinarily bold move to do that and which is probably another part of the reason like it's probably one of the worst times in modern musical history to release a love letter to rock and roll which probably is why you can attribute some of the quite poor reviews to it because when you read parts of those poor reviews, I don't really 
I, I, I don't, I don't fully go along with the idea that this is a bad album. Um, I, I, I totally understand why it's here, but I, but I, there's and there's nothing that gets me particularly any excited about it or anything like that. But it does, you know, we talk about sometimes about some records just don't feel broken. This doesn't feel like a broken record. Mm. really at all no and and also what i would say with with that when the the rock and roll thing being slightly ahead of your time by being behind the time is that it, i mean it, i said it i can't remember when i was talking to you about it but i said it, you know that the 80s kind of re-ushered in a fascination with rock and roll and yeah. 50s culture because more in movies than in films That's admittedly true. but then yeah. you know you had la bamba i suppose and there was there was quite a fair bit of um you know, like Stand By Me and yeah. Stand By Me, 60s, and it's a completely different type of music. But you know what I mean? Like that kind yeah. of fascination with, with, with that era from when all of those filmmakers were, were growing up. There was a lot of a lot of films coming out from that era. So I think that became like quite a cool period towards the kind of latter part of the 80s and going into the 90s. I mean, you suddenly got Blues Brothers, like compilations like Blues Brothers Soul Sister, which was a compilation, one of the first CDs I ever bought. I think it was like the fourth or fifth CD I ever bought, which was just later like Sam Cooke and um, Temptations and the, do you know what I mean? And Supremes and stuff like that and BB yeah. King and Muddy Waters. And like that shit became, you know, John Lee Hooker was getting in the charts again. I know that was a little bit later on, but BB King was cool and like it was, a, it started to be a, a thing again. Yeah, you know? I guess maybe I mean, it isn't. You maybe... too made BB King cool, to be fair, but you know, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, maybe it isn't as simple as I make out. It's difficult to think of examples in modern music, which were harking mm. back to that. But certainly that sort of aesthetic, well, a few years later, of course, you get back to the future. Your favorite Tree. film ever. And Joshua Tree. Yeah, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, which was more blues than rock and roll. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, we did discuss that when we did our classic mm. album on the Joshua Tree. How, what an incredibly uncool thing it would have been to decide to to lean on on that type of thing. Mm. And it does. I mean, that's what it is. And, and you're right. Like, I mean, there is stuff on here that I really don't like at all. Wondering and all the doo wop. I just think is a bit naff. I just think across the board mm. that kind of sounds a little bit naff. Kind of fond of Wonder. I mean, it's sweet that he wrote it for his wife. Mm. Mm. And that she found it funny, but I don't make me listen to it. Do you know what I mean? um, the Would you prefer it if it was called "Kind of Fond of Steve"? No, I wouldn't. I prefer <laughs> it. Well, I prefer it if he just if he just kept it quite far away from me. But you know, it's just not. A, it's, it's not a great song. It's just not no. a great song. No, but yeah, it's yeah. not a terrible song either. No. Bright Lights, Big City by Jimmy Reed is the obvious highlight for me here because it's got just a beautifully bluesy chorus, and I know that song um, from some film, uh, <laughs> and why go on was that one of your least favorites no it's just interesting because um it's not one of my least favorites it didn't particularly stand out to me one way or the other but um the guardian uh, be- uh worst to best that i mentioned previously was written by alexis petritus uh, petritus sorry i always fuck up that pronunciation and um he said uh the cover of jimmy reed's bright lights big city is abysmal so um, oh, well, Alexis disagrees with you. It's a good song. I, 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 okay. I, it didn't stand out as anything good or anything bad to me. It was another song on the record, to be honest with mm. you. But yeah, no, it's just, I it's mean, just... that's it, isn't it? It's just this type of music just kind of flits by and, yeah. you know, particularly taken, like you say, taken completely out of the context. It is just 
it's not really what Neil Young does. It's 25 minutes. It's not exactly a difficult listen by any stretch of the imagination. No, and it's far from bad, this mm. record. It is far, far, far from bad, mm. I would say. Mm. Um, there was mm. also, there was, a, there was a brilliant, brilliant um, article on youdiscovermusic.com titled The Geffen Years how Neil Young followed his muse in the 80s, which is an article that effectively attempts to defend a lot of the Geffen Neil Young output um, with a relative degree of success as well, I I, I think. Um, The entry for this record says, while listeners and critics scratch their heads in response to trans, the higher-ups at Geffen wrung their hands. In an attempt to get their musical maverick back on track, they stipulated that Young's next release be a rock and roll album. The album they got, Everybody's Rockin', was in fact a rockabilly album, complete with rich reverb and backing vocals that characterised the genre in the 50s and was cut in a little over a month with a group of players Young christened the Shocking Pinks. Taken on its own terms, Everybody's Rockin' is a fun blast from the past. Young faithfully recreates the rockabilly sound and songs like the title track and Kinda Fonda Wonder would sound right at home on a jukebox. He and the Shocking Pinks also try their hand at a few covers most notably junior parker's mystery train song made famous by the original king of rock and roll elvis presley i think all of that's fair enough i can see that totally mm. you know i i yeah. like, i i, I uh, yeah it's 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 nothing amazing this but um and i i'm sure if people didn't know the context at the time uh they might have been like what on earth is he doing although I would have thought it would have been all over the news at the time, uh, like music news, certainly, I'm guessing. Um, yeah, but people don't always people don't always pay attention, pay attention to that shit, do they? Do you know what I mean? True. I mean, I mean yeah, music so, critics but, should be paying attention to that shit, certainly. Yes. But, yeah. but yeah, sure. But it felt like, I mean, I don't know when, uh, it felt like music critics didn't always review context. I feel like we mm. always sort of try and have, like we're kind of told you should really get the wider broader context mm. of whatever this record is and i look at a lot of reviews from back in the day and it is almost like they've gone it's like they've not read the pl- the press release mm. <laughs> a crime <laughs> a crime i yeah. say against humanity um so neil young went out and toured this album playing most of the songs in his set list and didn't sell very many tickets mm. and commercially he began to drop and having settled out of court and with david geffen having to apologize geffen then went ahead and released old ways anyway (laughs) (laughs) like and that for me is what makes it the weirdest three album run in neil young's career that is a really really weird thing to do um although again again just to just to finish off with that you discover article it it concludes saying this and, and i really wanted to put this in just because i couldn't agree with this more while it would be difficult to argue that Neil Young's Geffen years saw him at his artistic peak, yes it would, one can be certain that he was making exactly the kind of music that he wanted to. When the label sued him for making music that was uncharacteristic of his previous recordings, they'd lost sight of what made him a rock legend. His refusal to rest on his artistic laurels and his willingness to chase his muse down every road it leads him. No doubt Young would have made it easier on himself if he'd been willing to pursue a more commercially viable path in the interest of selling more records, but he wouldn't be Neil Young if he did and i wanted to get that in because i thought that summed it up better than i ever could absolutely 100 percent. yeah totally agree um also he played around this time he played in 1985 played live aid with crosby stills nash Mm. and young he didn't play it with young he was the young in yeah um which is you know big playing live aid uh seemed to position himself a little bit as yesterday's man in the eyes of the mainstream though i would imagine yes um but then 
uh, recalling this record. Have you ever seen the documentary Don't Be Denied from 2009, which is a kind of retrospective on Neil Young's entire career? I don't think I have, no. But I'd okay, like to see right. that. You should watch that. Um, I'm not sure if it's available on YouTube. It's not available online anymore because I did check. Um, there's, but there's a quote in that where he says, I said, do you know what rock and roll is? I think they wanted me to... Re- um, they're basically talking about when Geffen said you've got to make a rock and roll record mm-hmm. he said and I said do you know what rock and roll is I think they wanted me to make a hard rock record but they didn't ask for that and if you're going to tell me to do something yell at me and sue me then you better tell then you better tell me to do exactly what you want or you might get exactly what you asked for <laughs> again again like what a fucking legend yeah yeah what a legend fucking fucking great um, so you mentioned two more albums for Geffen Landing on Water in 1986 and Life in 1987, both of which, I mean, I uh, uh, do you want to got any defence for those records? Particularly, I mean, you mentioned Landing on Water. Land, la- landing, worst... on, landing on Water is the worst Neil Young album I have heard. Uh, I would say right. I haven't heard Life. Uh, landing okay. on Water, I remember listening to and just thinking it was utterly atrocious i have to say it would have been back in the sort of 2003 2004 period so i haven't listened to it for Mm -hmm. ages but when i heard that record i hated it so uh who knows i might feel differently now because it's been that was almost half my life ago but yeah, yeah i hated that record yeah i mean it's certainly you're looking at a significant commercial downturn down downturn in fortune for him at that time um meaning that he left geffen uh, off the back of that kind of five pretty unremarkable records. Yeah, went back to reprise, pretty, didn't he? Um, yeah, he went back and, as you mentioned, immediately released Freedom featuring Keep On Rocking in the Free World and became the godfather of grunge. Like, within a year! <laughs> um, Absolutely fucking over Geffen and making them furious i'm sure what an absolute lad yeah the, 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 that's more or less true he he released one record uh uh before then with re- reprise uh yeah. neil young and the blue tones this notes for you uh mm. but yeah then after that he released freedom and yeah became a massive massive deal again commercially and of course the blue tones went on to the <laughs> slight return and be a brick pop band and i don't know different else, blue tunes but that's fine what? Yes. yeah yeah sorry um, to disappoint you yeah i know bummer but you know i mean the sort of it's funny, isn't it? Because when I think of Neil Young, you, I, you kind of almost think of two chapters, and the eighties kind of sits right in the middle of it, where you're like, oh, there's not, there's like all of this great stuff in the seventies, and then rocking in the free world, and you don't really think about any of this Geffen stuff at all. You don't really think about it no. at all. And it's fair to say that really... Neil Young fans kind of skip over the eighties stuff generally. Yeah, I think of course. Fair. And then you know, we we get we get Harvest Moon, we get Sleeps with Angels, we get Mirrorball, you know, all mm. of those basically rugged glory. I, fucking great records mm-hmm. that like are probably as good as anything that he ever did Ooh. some of them some of them yeah some of them uh some yeah 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 some some really 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 excellent records um he released yeah. in the 90s yeah yeah definitely. and you know headline reading mm-hmm. with pearl jam as his backing band yes please and everybody and everybody loves him yeah everybody yeah. loved him again it's weird so, it's like music cyclical isn't it <laughs> it is a little bit isn't it it's a weird thing and the 80s just was this weird time mm. well geffen you can say that again <laughs> and geffen took the fucking kicking for it yeah yeah but i mean hey let's not feel 
too sorry for Geffen because we know what happened to them in the 90s after all that shit happened. He did fine. So he, he took he a step did, back and he, he did watched, all right. watched the money roll in, basically. So, yeah, he, yeah. he was all right. He, he was all right. Um, so that's it, basically, I think. That's kind of what happened. Um, where would you place this on the list of 32, this being the 33rd? So I was having a think about this and... Um, I don't think there's anything... I I guess the only thing that irks me ever so slightly, I suppose if I was there at the time and I was a Neil Young fan and I was looking forward to the new Neil Young record, don't know if I would have been after trans or not, but if I was and I went to the counter, put, paid my money and got this back, I can imagine in I would... In our price? In, <laughs> yeah, of course. I can imagine I would have been very disappointed and you know um one of the reviews that you mentioned did talk about you know if this has been released as a mid-priced album blah 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 then that would have been a bit more forgivable not that that would have been within neil young's remit to do that that would have been a geffen decision anyway but but yes there is something you know i, I can see where that person's coming from so that you know that but that's the only part of it that makes me go that makes me a little bit that's the only bit that i don't like about it do you know what i mean but within the context of it it's one of it's one of the greatest fuck yous in modern music history to a record label i think prince did it a couple of times uh oh god what other artists have done big fuck used to you know there have been other examples well, lou reed, there, lou reed. There are, there oh, of course we've done on... metal machine music yeah yeah, yeah lou reed yeah. you know there have been other good ones but i kind of i think the fact that geffen asked for something and he gave them exactly what they asked for and it still wasn't what they wanted that's what makes it such a beautiful fuck you um and, you know, we've got Metal Machine music in there, so it does seem uh, like the right call to put it around there. It's very, very uh, low on the list or high on the list, depending on what way you look at it. Um, but I kind of thought maybe it's time to separate the uh, two Lou Reed records and maybe it should go smack bang in between Lou Reed Metal Machine music at number 30 and Lou Reed and Metallica by Lulu at 31. It's not a bad shout, Room Free. It's not a bad shout at all. I mean, I would say I definitely like would listen to Lulu more than I'd listen to this. That's yep. my my personal taste. Yep. Although I think Lulu maybe doesn't for what this tries to do, it probably hits better than Lulu really. Because there are a few bits Arguably. of Lulu where like, oh, I'm not mm-hmm. sure that that's the right thing to do. There's nothing that's really oh, you go well, that's wrong. And I think Metal Machine music does kind of set out to do what it wants to do it's just a horrible thing to listen to you know it's a very yeah. difficult like there's not many times where you're going to want to put this on so i get more out enjoyment out of this record than i do metal machine music i mean sorry to be controversial yeah. steve i know that yeah. that's probably not how you feel about it uh, <laughs> no, 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 i like it when uh when the when the, the thing goes bing bong like, like that bit. <laughs> oh yeah you do that's the second track right mm. That's the one you really the, like. The fourth track. Fourth track. Yeah. My apologies. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, but yeah. So I think it's probably it's, it's not as influential as metal machine music. No, it's not as kind of not. I guess groundbreaking if you want to call metal machine music 
groundbreaking i suppose it probably is it's an argument um, for it certainly but i think he does everything that he sets out to do on this yeah so yeah i'm happy to put it i'm happy to put it there because it's not a bad record by any stretch of the imagination it's no. it's really not it's not a record that it's not a great um, record either but but no yeah yeah it does feel like one of these ones that we're putting on this list which isn't really broken but you know and and in terms of doing what it sets out to do i i think it's a resounding success Mm. yeah i think it probably is i mean the thing is is that the re it's obvious why it's here because it caused a kerfuffle and that, that's 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 why it's here because yeah. it caused a kerfuffle. And like we said at the start, these albums aren't always here because they're just everybody thinks they're shit, yes. or somebody thinks they're shit. Mm. They're here for a multitude of reasons, and there's no getting away from it. This was a massive fucking. This was a pain in someone's ass. This album, <laughs> to put it mildly, yeah, yeah, of course it was <laughs> pain in quite a lot of people's ass. To be fair, and it doesn't necessarily make it musically bad like if you just stuck this onto a random stranger and went do you think this is the worst music you've ever heard i mean i suppose it depends on how much music they listen to and what they liked but i can't imagine them going oh my god yes this is appalling whereas i think if you stuck on fucking methods of mayhem they would just go yeah this is this is yeah. rubbish yeah this is rubbish yeah exactly um, there, so, there, there was some, yeah. there was something that we read earlier about you know you can imagine a couple of these songs just being on a jukebox or something like that and and if you were in a sort of rock and roll diner type thing and and they came i think you wouldn't be sick or no. walk out would you or like burn the place down if well I, d- I don't just go okay i don't think you would notice i don't think you would notice no. that, that there has been a perceptible change in the quality of music that is being played i'm not suggesting this is as good as i don't know jailhouse rock or uh, uh uh great balls of fire or anything like that but but i don't think i don't think you'd register it if yeah. you know if it was just in the background kind of thing so and and you know broke a broken record is something where um it screams in your face it's sheer shitness screams in your face so much that you can't ignore how how appalling it is um so yeah uh and that's kind of another reason why i think it should go you know fairly fairly low slash high on the list it's at 31 out of 33 so it's doing all right yeah. there you go neil young and the shocking pinks everybody's rocking is in the broken records list whether it deserves to be or not it is and i have another <laughs> oh wow i don't <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> i don't think we'll be saying the same thing next week renfrey okay. Next week, we will be talking about Baby Woman by Naomi Campbell. (sighs) (laughs) Is this the first model we've had on the show? I think it is, isn't it? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. We've got a couple of people who aren't predominantly known as singers yeah, yeah. So, Mr. Blobby, the Macho Man Randy Savage, um, somebody from EastEnders... Uh, Ian, is it Ian Bill, we got Ian Bill's I think album. It is Ian Bill, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you know, just to get you warmed up for when we do Ian Bill and uh, oh. and Macho Man Randy Savage, here is Naomi Campbell. It's going into Broken Records next week. Wow. Okay. Good. Wow. Can't wait. She's going to be furious. <laughs> yes. Yes. She does listen. Oh <laughs> goodness me! She's a big she Neil Young fan. So yeah. she won't get out of bed for less than 
forty thousand dollars and a, an episode of Broken Records. So uh, <laughs> good. All right, good. Right, we'll be back next week chatting all things Naomi Campbell. I feel already film hugely out of my comfort zone <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um should be a laugh it's thank like you very when we much started for doing hip-hop on the show for me Ooh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> what are we talking uh, about yeah 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 uh and uh we'll be back next week thank you very much for listening like i say um if you if you uh if you like the show give us a little a little um five star review if you are a disgruntled neil young fan <laughs> then, then uh you can give us one if you want but to be honest we've been fairly nice about him so shouldn't have to really shouldn't have to uh thanks very much guys we'll see you next week